Due to technical difficulties, the first seven minutes of the message was not recorded. We pick up Pastor Terry's message at the seven-minute mark. We need to be aware that in John 10, Jesus using a sheep metaphor to reveal some deep truths about God is what this whole section of scripture is. So John 10 is Jesus using sheep, shepherding, pasturing metaphors. And we need to look at the end of John 9 to set the stage for this text that we're gonna look at this morning. So here's what's happening at the end of John 9. I encourage you to go read it. It's a great story. One of my, my favorite stories in, in, in scripture because this blind guy, he's kind of a smart aleck and I kind of like that. So I encourage you to go read John 9 at some point. But listen to this. Here's what's happening in John 9. Jesus just healed a blind man on the Sabbath and the Pharisees have kicked the man out of the synagogue altogether. They just basically said, you're out of our fellowship because you got healed on the Sabbath and you won't deny this man. You are actually saying he might be the Messiah. And so that's the backdrop for John 10. This conflict has happened in John 9 and here we walk into John 10. And so from Jesus's perspective, what has happened in John 9 is wolves have just tried to devour one of his sheep, this blind man which is why Jesus tells the Pharisees that anyone who climbs the fence, like me, instead of entering through the gate, is a thief and a robber. The Pharisees had just stolen God's grace and mercy by denying that this blind man was healed from God. They said this couldn't be of God because it happened on the Sabbath. So they removed any glory that God would get for being merciful to this man. And they'd robbed God of his grace by blaming his blindness on sin. And so that's the backdrop, the setting that goes into John 10. The Pharisees were stealing God's glory by making his mercy and his grace something that had to come through them. It couldn't come from anywhere else. It has to come from us. That's why he says that anyone climbing the fence instead of entering through the gate is a thief and a robber. The Pharisees probably agreed with him on that. The Pharisees probably looked at that point and said, yes, we agree. Anyone who climbs the fence is a thief and a robber. Jesus saying, I am the gate, is making it clear that faith, not religion, gives us access to God. The Pharisees in John 9 were saying religion through us is how you access God. Jesus by saying, I am the gate, is saying no, Faith in me is how you access God. So then in John 10, 5, this conflict that started in John 9 is beginning to get a little bit deeper and broader and Jesus presses even harder on them in verse 5. And he basically says, you're not the gate and you're not the shepherd, but you guys are actually strangers. You don't know God. He doesn't know you. And then in verse six, what we see is the Pharisees are just baffled by this. It says they don't understand. They don't know what he's saying. They missed his point. Here's what his point was. His point was, you think that you are the gatekeepers of God. And by trying to be the gate, by trying to be the gatekeepers, you're actually robbing God of his glory. You're stealing his glory from him. And that's where verse seven comes up. And so listen to this, when we get to verse seven, what we see that in their ignorance, 
In their lack of understanding, Jesus is basically saying, let me make it perfectly clear. You haven't gotten it to this point, so now I'm gonna say it in a way that you can't avoid it. And that's where Jesus says, I am the gate for the sheep. See, this emphatic statement makes it abundantly clear that the Pharisees are not the gate, even though they think they are. Their knowledge of God's law doesn't make them the gate. They knew it better than anybody else. Their interpretation of God's word doesn't make them the gate. They understood it better than anybody else. Their religious holiness, all the stuff they put on, didn't make them the gate. And their judgment of everybody else certainly didn't make them the gate. So look at Romans 9 with me, verses 14 through 16. This is an important verse in the context of this conversation with the Pharisees. Starting in verse 14, it says this. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Now with that in mind, look at John 9, verse 28, back in the interaction between the blind man and the Pharisees. The Pharisees say something very interesting to this blind man here. It says in verse 28, chapter nine, then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. Well, wasn't it Moses that God told very clearly? that he would have mercy on who he'd have mercy on? Wasn't it Moses that God said, look, this isn't from human will or exertion, this is by me, my mercy, my compassion. And so the Pharisees were proud that they were disciples of Moses, but they missed a key truth that God gave to Moses. They missed this key point, and that key point is that God is the only one who can offer mercy and grace. So at some point, as disciples of Moses, they get to this blind man and go, no, no, no. If it's mercy and grace, it comes through us. We're the gate. We're the gatekeepers. Can't have it apart from us. And yet, Paul quotes God speaking to Moses and saying, no, 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 it's not by human will, not by exertion, it's only through me. Here's what all of this has to do with Jesus saying I am the gate. The gate, Jesus, makes God accessible to everyone. That's why he said, I'm the gate. The Pharisees, as the gate, made God accessible only to those who they deemed like them. When we as humans decide that we are the gate, we're gonna shut it down to everybody who doesn't look like us, who doesn't act like us, and it's gonna create limited access. And here's the thing you gotta know. A gate is not designed to keep people out. That's what a fence is for. Think about this. Gates are for access, not exclusion. A gate is designed for access. Gates exist so people can come in and go out. Listen to this in verse nine. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. That is accessibility, not exclusion. They will find pasture. 
And so here's what happens. When Jesus says, I am the gate, people begin to say, well, that's exclusionary to say that there's only one way to God. How can you say that? You exclude everybody else. But here's the reality. Jesus saying, I am the gate, clearly demolishes that argument because gates are designed to provide access. Jesus didn't say, I am the fence. He said, I am the gate. The gate to the Teuton's farm was always unlocked. All we had to do was pop the latch and we could walk through. Jesus, the gate, doesn't have any lock either. He is not excluding anyone. He is not trying to lock people out. But here's where the problem comes in. People would rather complain about the fact that there is a gate than to simply walk through the gate as Alex did. You can't say that the gate keeps you out when it's your pride that keeps you from walking through the gate. You can't say that the gate is judgmental when you're judging others constantly. And you can't slander Jesus for being the gate to God when your real issue is that you won't walk through the gate because you want to be God. Some would say Jesus says the gate makes salvation exclusive, not inclusive. That's just not true. Listen to John 3.16. We all know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The world, that's everyone. Jesus was given for everyone. And every person who has ever lived is capable of belief. The Pharisees, that the rules and the laws they put on people, not everybody was capable of keeping those. But every human being has the capacity to believe. That was Jesus' point. If you would just stop and consider God in the person of Christ, the gate is open to you. It's not locked. But here's the thing. You have to walk through it. And so the world likes to say that Jesus as the gate is judgmental and it's condemning of everybody else who isn't a Christian. Can I just read on in John 3 for you to verse 17? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in, the, in order that the world might be saved through him. The gate does not limit accessibility. It actually gives us access this idea of Jesus as the gate somehow being exclusive and condemning and dismissive of people is a lie from hell and is born of false narratives that are founded on this one fallen mindset. I should be able to get what I want on my terms. If I want heaven, I should be able to have it. If I want peace, I should be able to have it. If I decide I'm gonna find satisfaction in this world, I should be able to have it. In short, I should be able to climb the fence. I should be able to just climb the fence and get whatever I want. Now Jesus as the gate spares us of some things. One of the things it spares us is from others calling themselves the gate and casting judgment and condemning people from others saying who can enter in through the gate and who can't, which is exactly what the Pharisees were doing in John 9. 
that prompted this conversation of Jesus saying, I am the gate. If he isn't the gate, then guess what? Somebody else will be. And the Pharisees tried that. The Pharisees tried to say, we are the gate to God. But here's the thing. I don't want you to be the gate. I don't want you to be the gate. And I don't want to be the gate. I promise you don't want that. The Pharisees tried to be the gate and they just ruined people's lives and blocked their access to God, kept them out of God. See, no, there's, there's no one else worthy to be the gate except for the perfect son of God. And that's why Jesus saying I am the gate actually reveals that God is mercy and grace. His mercy is in the fact that only Jesus, the perfectly loving, infinitely merciful, entirely compassionate, and eternally gracious one is the gate. Not you or me or any other fallen and flawed human being. Religion sets up a system where we look at people and say, we will elevate you as the gatekeepers. Tell us what we must do. Faith turns that on its head and says there is one gate, his name is Jesus, you will be saved through him when you believe in his name. And everyone on the planet has the ability to do that. You know, here's what I wonder. I wonder if those who are outside of Christ, who don't wanna hear the message of Jesus, I wonder if their real issue is with Jesus as the gate or if their real issue is with his followers trying to be the gate. I wonder how many people who have no interest in the gospel don't have an issue with Jesus as the gate if we would show them the gate. But they do have an issue with us playing gatekeeper. They do have an issue with us telling them all the things that are wrong in their lives like the Pharisees. It doesn't change the fact that Jesus is the gate. See, God's mercy and grace is revealed by Jesus saying, I am the gate, because mercy and grace are necessary for us to enter in. We cannot enter into God's pasture without mercy and grace, because God is holy. And because God is holy, there can be no unholiness, no imperfection in his presence. When you enter through Jesus the gate, here's the punchline. You receive his holiness. To try to climb the fence means you don't get that. To try to come into God's presence in some other way means that you're not receiving the imputed holiness and righteousness of Christ. Listen to this in Colossians 1, verses 21 and 22. And you, that's all of us, who were once alienated, again, all of us, and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. So he nailed us on all three parts right there. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. So he's reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. God in his mercy and grace made Jesus the gate so that we can be made holy by his mercy and grace through the payment of our sins in Christ. And that's a mercy that spares us from the penalty for our sin, for sure. But it's also a grace that gives us the source of an abundant life now. 
That's what we just heard Alex talk about. His life prior to Jesus wasn't abundant. And what he's found in Christ is access to an abundant life. By walking through that gate, he's found access to that pasture. See, I think about Mr. Tootin's mercy in letting us use the gate. It was mercy because when we chose to obey him, it spared us from the dangers of his crazy horse. God's mercy revealed in Jesus as the gate does the exact same thing. When we enter through the gate, instead of trying to climb the fence, we are under God's sovereign and good will. We are protected in him. Now the last thing we need to look at in these verses is at the end of verse nine, where it says this, and find pasture. You will go in and come out and find pasture. Think about that in terms of a sheep. What's a pasture mean to sheep? It's a place of nourishment. It's a place of refreshment. It's a place of care under the watchful eye of the shepherd. In short, it's a place free from want. Sheep have no want in a pasture. When we enter through the gate, when we allow Jesus to be the gate and enter through him, we find refreshment and renewal and rest and purpose and strength and compassion and care and security. In short, the pasture is the very presence of God. And God's presence is the ultimate purpose of our life. Listen to this in Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We are all created to live in the fullness of joy, to have the very pleasures of God accessible to us and to have them forever. A gate is about access. It's about access to this, the fullness of the joy of God, the pleasures of God. It's not about inclusion. And Jesus as the gate is about access to God so that we can live in his presence. By God's mercy, Jesus is the gate. By God's grace, we have access to his presence through that gate. So Jesus saying, I am the gate, is a revelation of the grace and mercy of God. We have to choose to enter into God's presence through that gate. But be assured of this, there's no access to God except through the gate, Jesus. You will not find yourself in that pasture except through Jesus. And the pasture we find on the other side of that gate is the very presence of God. And so this week, as with every week in this series, we're gonna practice prayer. I hope you found time to do that last week and I wanna invite you into doing it again this week. But here's what I wanna invite you into practicing and praying this week. I wanna invite you into practicing prayers of God's presence. Prayers that acknowledge God is present. Because 
The mercy and grace of God in Jesus as the gate provides us access to God. And because we have to enter into God's presence through the gate, there's no other way in. But here's the thing. Once we've entered through that gate, what are you gonna do? You've walked through the gate. Now what will you do? How will you live having gone through the gate? So let's go back to Tootin's Farm for just a minute. Imagine if every time we entered through the gate to Tootin's Farm, we just sat there. We didn't do anything. We just walked in and plopped down. It wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. Sometimes downtime is great. It'd still be nice. But we would be missing out on some great fun and memories. We'd be in the presence of all kinds of childhood delights, fishing and swimming and finding bugs and skipping rocks and floating on a raft and not enjoying any of it. Can I just tell you that unfortunately, too often that's a description of the Christian life in this world? We've entered through the gate, we've walked through, and we stand there. And we don't experience the fullness of God's joy because we don't look for it. And we don't experience the delight of his presence, the pleasures of his presence because we don't look for it. We simply walk into the pasture and we stand and we look around and we go, oh, hey, it's nice to see you in the pasture too. Good, we've got a good group in the pasture. But we don't experience it. We have to press into God's actual presence with us in every moment to experience the fullness of his joy in this life, no matter what our circumstances, to experience the pleasures of God in this life, to delight in them, no matter what our circumstances. Remember what Psalm 1611 says, right? In your presence is the fullness of joy. If I am in God's presence, is my expectation to experience the fullness of joy? Or am I simply going, the fence is built, I've walked through the gate, and now I just wait. I'll stand here and wait. God delights in us finding the fullness of joy in his presence. Prayer is how we do that in this life. So this is the point of prayers of God's presence, to find the fullness of joy in his constant presence with us to find the pleasures that can't even be explained and the delight that is in his constant, interactive, sovereign walk with us in this world. And it's actually a pretty simple thing to do. We just intentionally in prayer acknowledge God's presence in all circumstances. We say it. God is always with me, he's always there. God's in my presence. But here's my question, acknowledging it and experiencing it are not the same thing. Do you experience it? So the first step is we acknowledge it. We acknowledge it with thanksgiving. We acknowledge with gratitude that we have access to him in his pasture. And we focus our minds and our everyday lives on his very real presence. And we allow that focus of mind, that what Paul calls in Colossians 3, setting our minds on the things above. We allow that to do something in us that brings delight in God. And so if you remember last week, we talked about Psalm 139, 23 and 24 as a great prayer of sanctification. 
Well, this week, as we practice prayers of God's presence, I want to invite you back to Psalm 139 to look at verse seven. It says this, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? It's a rhetorical question. The psalmist is asking, is there anywhere I can go from your spirit? Is there anywhere I can find to escape from your presence? And the answer is no. There's nowhere. Our job simply is to acknowledge that reality. In this moment, right now, God is present. When you get in your car to go to work tomorrow morning, he is present. When you walk into the classroom tomorrow, he is present. When you have that argument with your spouse or your boss makes you upset or your kids won't clean their rooms, he is present. The simple task for us is to acknowledge that. As we walk through our daily lives to go, there is nowhere I can go to escape from your presence. Now, what that does then is we find fullness of joy. We find delight. But let me ask you this. How do you think that mentality, how do you think living in that reality will will interact, will impact your sin life? Uh, You didn't want me to go there, did you? Think about that for a moment. What will sin in your life look like when you acknowledge that God is present with you at all times? For me to willfully sin with that mentality is to look at God and say, nope, stay there, I'm going here. I'll be back. But let me enjoy this first. Here's what happens when we live a life of God being present with us. We practice the presence of God in our daily lives. Sin becomes more and more difficult because we know he's here, we acknowledge it, we experience it, and we begin to realize the dirty little secret of sin that we don't want to tell you in church. To choose sin is to reject God. Even in the moment. Now is that going to have an eternal impact on me if I'm in Christ? Certainly all have sinned. But here's the thing. When I get to the fullness of the presence of God in the kingdom of heaven, when I pass through that gate for that last time where I am physically in God's presence, do you think I'm gonna look at him and go, man, I wish I just had a few more moments of sin? Or do you think I'm gonna look at him and go, man, I wish I would have had more of your presence? And so here's what we do when we acknowledge God's presence and this is how it impacts our sin in our lives. We begin to become fully aware that to sin is to choose to leave God's presence and go into the presence of no one but self. And there's no joy there. There's no delight there. There's no pleasures there. And so by living in the presence of God, practicing the presence of God in prayer, allowing ourselves to focus on and experience God's presence in our daily lives, sin becomes like that tunnel in the mirror as you're driving. It's just back there somewhere, but I don't really notice it anymore. So that's what I want to invite you into this week. Spending time recognizing, realizing that God is present in your daily life and that in his presence is the fullness of joy, that in his presence there's pleasures and delight that you can't even imagine. And let that be the atmosphere that your soul breathes. And as you do that, it's real simple. 
you start with a reminder that wherever I go, you are there. And you acknowledge that he is sovereign and good in every moment, and more so, he's with you. Father, we're so grateful, so grateful that through Jesus the gate, we can come into your presence. That's really what it's all about, God. You invite us into your presence. And Father, I pray that if anyone is hearing this today and their, their mentality, their mindset has been that somehow Christ is exclusionary, that he doesn't invite everyone. Father, I pray that you would help them see that gates are about access, not exclusion. And Father, I pray that they would see that the simple, simple act of placing faith in Jesus, trusting him, is how we walk through the gate. God, there is only one gate. There is only one way into your presence. But the invitation is universal. It's the response that's not. And so, Father, if anyone views Jesus as somehow excluding others, I just pray that they would focus on their own response, not the invitation. Because he has given an invitation to the entire world. It's on us to respond. And Lord, I also pray that if there's anyone in this room right now or watching online that needs to respond, that needs to lift the latch of that gate and walk through today, I pray that they would do that. Pray that your spirit would have your way in them. That they would see that walking through the gate is on us. But the fact that we have a gate to walk through is an act of your great mercy and grace. And so we ask that you would go before us in this. Open our hearts and our minds to your presence this week and let us delight in you and find the fullness of joy in you. In Jesus' name, amen.